Donald Trump, because he's impulsive and he's weak and he's he lost more than a few steps, you know, and is a far weaker candidate, has guided, again, the Republican Party to a place of ruin. And so I don't know how they're I don't know what they're going to run on in 2024 that's going to get them anywhere closer to voters. I mean, all of their major talking points against Biden have evaporated in the last few months. The economy is strong, inflation's down, crime and murder rates are down all across the country. There is no war in energy. We're producing more oil and renewables than we ever had in the history of the country. And now this one issue that they had, immigration, the border, they fumbled that. They stumped, you know, because they're incompetent and wild and erratic and unhinged and extreme, they fumbled that too. And now that's been taken away from them too. And so what they're left with is the mad king. They're left with madness now. And I think the more that we can draw this contrast between the workhorse, Joe Biden, who's, you know, work getting up every day, doing the people's business, making the country better, and this madness and chaos on the other side, the more I think we're going to have the kind of election we want to have in November. And welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. Democrats are doing great across America in elections, in leadership, in delivering results for the people. And yet, when Donald Trump tells the world that he plans to deliver Europe to Russia, that he'll abandon our NATO allies and let Russia run roughshod over whatever country he wants, every news show is still asking if Joe Biden is fit to lead. It's unbelievable. But if we put that ridiculousness aside for a moment and just discuss the Democrats' advantage going into this election year, we might let this madness and chaos give way to hope. As today's guest, Simon Rosenberg, says, he would rather be us than them right now. Simon Rosenberg is a highly regarded political strategist and commentator with more than 30 years' experience in national politics and television news. Simon has served in senior roles at the DNC, DCCC, and was a leading candidate for DNC chair in 2005. Simon has worked on two presidential campaigns, including a leadership role in the Clinton War Room in 1992, and was instrumental in founding the New Democrat Coalition, the donor advisory network, Democracy Alliance. After a career in television news, Simon has built a new home for his political analysis, commentary, and live political discussions at Hopium Chronicles, an amazing and informative new project on the Substack media platform that not only gives everyone the information they need, but is actively helping candidates win across the country. So let's talk about winning and getting hopeful. Without further ado, please welcome my guest, political strategist, commentator, and creator of the Hopium Chronicles, Simon Rosenberg. Welcome, Simon. It's so good to be here, Lee. I'm a big fan, so it's just a, it's a real pleasure to be with you today. Well, thank you for joining me. Honestly, I love your work. Your Substack is incredible. It's informative. It's easy to understand. And if people aren't subscribed to Hopium, right off the top, I'm going to tell you, you really should be because the work that Simon's doing there is so comprehensive and so easy to kind of take in big concept issues that it is absolutely worth your time. Now, it's also called... Hopium, yes. <laughs> right? And that's hope in a time where we need hope. Did you do that deliberately? Yeah. I mean, the, the story of that is that during the 2022 election cycle, when I was fighting the red wave and saying that the red wave wasn't going to come and all these commentators were saying it was going to come, several commentators used hopium as a slur against me, saying I was smoking hopium and I was misleading my audience about what was going to happen in the election out of sort of this delusion that I had about the election. I 
embraced the name hopium as a way of describing what it was we were doing. And the way that I see hopium, the way that we use hopium in our community is that hopium is hope with a plan. We just don't hope the election is going to turn out well. We actually go to work to make it so. And so it's very action oriented. It's not it's hopeful about the future, but it's we know that we will only get the future we want if we do the work to bring about the kind of election results that we all aspire towards, like we had in, with Tom Swazi. And and so this is a community of doers, right? We don't just debate things and talk about things. We have this other slogan in the Hopium community, which is do more, worry less, right? We try to not spend our time worrying about things. We spend our time talking about how we can do rather than worry. So yes, it's a place where we've channeled all of this anxiety that we all have about the future of our country and our democracy into concrete actions to make us stronger, more muscular, more powerful. And the great thing is we just keep winning elections all across the country. It's working. It is working. I love that. So let's talk about an election that worked. We just had this congressional election in New York in the third district where Democrat Tom Suozzi beat the Republican candidate to replace George Santos in the House and flip that seat from Republican to Democrat. Now, this is amazing news, not just because it limits the mega extremist votes in the House by one more. It really sets the tone for 2024. It does. And and what's important to recognize, here's my take on things, right, is that in 2018 and 2020, we had great elections. We uh, took away the House, the Senate, and the presidency from MAGA. And, and felt great about ourselves. And But when that, what usually happens next is the party in power usually loses seats and loses midterm elections and loses special elections and off-year elections. That's very traditional in our political system. And that hasn't happened. We've actually, since Dobbs happened in the spring of 2022, we just keep winning and they keep struggling. It's something historically anomalous is taking place in this country that needs, frankly, far more attention than it's really getting, because it's not just that we've won a race here or there. We've been winning all kinds of races all over the country now over three calendar years since the spring of 2022. And this basic dynamic of our overperformance and our winning, which we saw show up in the battleground states in 2022, we saw play out all across the country in 2023, is now showing up in 2024. And if I could just be really brief, I mean, what we've seen just in the last few weeks is this Republican struggling. They had anemic turnout in Iowa. Uh, Trump only got 56,000 of the 750,000 votes of re- registered Republicans. He, uh, he underperformed public polling in New Hampshire by 10 to 15 points. We've seen polling showing that 20 to 30 percent of the Republican electorate could abandon Trump or at least are open or deeply worried and concerned about his candidacy with a smaller share of that even being open, very open to voting for Biden. We've never seen that kind of stuff before in modern American history, where so many voters of one party were already this early ready to vote for the leader of the other party. And and their party is now broke and they're replacing their chair. Their new speaker is a joke, right? I mean, their party is an unprecedented mess. They're struggling and we just keep winning, right? We won all across the country in 2022 and 2023. We flipped this house seat in Orlando, Florida a few weeks ago, which no one thought we were going to win. And the victory we had in New York 3 was huge. This wasn't just a win. We didn't just stumble across the finish line. We lost that seat by eight points just a year and a half ago, and we just won it by eight points on Tuesday night. And so remarkable performance for us, consistent with what we've been seeing all across the country. And it's why I'm so optimistic about what's going to happen in 2024, Mm -hmm. because when voters vote, we win and they lose. And it's the likely thing that's going to happen in November. It's not guaranteed. I'm not predicting anything. 
but it's far, it's the most likely scenario what's going to happen in the election this year. Yeah. I also think like this election in New York was either going to be approval of the complete ineptitude of the Republican controlled house and all of their extremist actions. Like they just impeached the secretary of Homeland security, Alejandro Mayorkas, or it was going to be like, listen, we have to start using our common sense. We have to take back this country one seat at a time. And it feels very, very, like you said, hopeful that we just keep choosing correctly. Because at this point, we need to be voting for the people that are going to stand up for democracy, that are going to protect a woman's right to choose. We have to put people above the whole politics about the R beside my name, D beside my name stuff. I don't even know where the Republicans are getting their candidates half the time now. Like the person who ran against Tom Swasey, she was backed by anti-abortion extremists. She was backed by dark money donors, but the woman had no track record. She had very few positions. And until she ran for this race in New York, she was a registered Democrat. Her entire campaign felt like a lie. And she was trying to fill the seat of a serial liar, right? So it's all very suspect. And the Republicans seem, as you said, they seem, we used to always say Dems in disarray. The Republicans seem deeply in disarray, right? They just don't seem to be understanding that the more radical they get, the less the electorate is going to be on their side. Most Americans can see that this isn't the direction they want to go, and they're going to go another direction. The way I view it is that the Republican Party, the once proud party of Lincoln and Reagan, has been overtaken by extremists and extremism. I mean, that's what's happened. They've created a permission structure for craziness and madness to take place in their party and, and you know, crazy people to get ahead and be promoted like George Santos, right? People who would never have gotten through the vet of a traditional political party a decade ago or 20 years ago, they would never have backed him. But now with Trump as their leader, who is, you know, the most mad king that's ever, you know, tried to win the presidency, it's created a permission structure for outrageous and wild behavior and crazy candidates, the bad candidate problem, as it's been called. But I I think what's so interesting about where we are today is that the Republicans in the House have a big choice to make, right? Last week, they bet the farm on this immigrant, you know, by blocking the immigration bill that was negotiated in a bipartisan way that was going to now address the central problem they claim is the central problem in our politics today. And they blocked it and they took it, you know, because Trump told them to do it because Trump believed that somehow keeping the border open and keeping a solution from being implemented was going to help him. Well, they learned last night that that's not true. Right, that our ability now to go on offense on on the border and immigration to say that we want to solve the problem working with Republicans, they want to keep the chaos on the border and immigrants coming into the country. We just litigated that in New York last night, and Donald Trump, because he's impulsive and he's weak and he's he lost more than a few steps, you know, and is a far weaker candidate, has guided again the Republican Party to a place of ruin. And so I don't know how they're I don't know what they're going to run on in twenty. 24 that's going to get them anywhere closer to voters. I mean, all of their major talking points against Biden have evaporated in the last few months. The economy is strong, inflation's down, crime and murder rates are down all across the country. There is no war in energy. We're producing more oil and renewables than we ever had in the history of the country. And now this one issue that they had, immigration, the border, they fumbled that. They stumped, you know, because they're incompetent and wild and erratic and unhinged and extreme. They fumbled that too. And now that's been taken away from them too. And so what they're left with is the mad king. They're left with madness now. And I think the more that we can draw this contrast between the workhorse, Joe Biden, who's, you know, work getting up every day, doing the people's business, making the country better, 
and this madness and chaos on the other side, the more I think we're going to have the kind of election we want to have in November. Yeah, I would hope that that would be true. I mean, the problem is, is that they're sitting on the wrong side of every single issue. Like you said, they're inept. They can't even run their own program. There's 300 people ready to vote for a border bill in the House and they won't bring it to the floor. My concern is the way things are going now, I waver between feeling very hopeful because of reality and very terrified because of the news of what people are seeing and reading. You know, the real news is being suppressed. It's being spun. Uh, Enough people don't know the truth. Like, the truth is they're doing a terrible job. The truth is they're on the wrong side of every issue. But take this Mayorkas thing, right? The mainstream media outlets ran that story of his impeachment, not as a story of gross government overreach, not as a story of using impeachment as a weapon against your political enemies, not as a story of just waiting until two Democrats were out with COVID to take the vote. They spun it like why the Secretary of Homeland Security was impeached and why that's bad for Joe Biden. And that is so irresponsible. So where are you at with people not getting the information they need, not getting the truth, and then that lack of truth and facts leading to poor decision making down the line? Listen, it's a huge issue. I'm a former journalist. I worked at ABC News right out of college, and I grew up in the television news business before I went into politics full time. The mainstream media or the information we live in today has been severely degraded, right? There's enormous financial challenges in mainstream media. You know, it's being pushed around by right wing, you know, the power of the propaganda outfits on the other side. There's a lot that's going on that's making it harder for everyday people to get truthful information, as you say. I think we have to expect that the way the mainstream media is going to play this stuff every day is like the way they report on a baseball game or a soccer game, which they just announce what's happening in front of their eyes. They're not making any judgment about them. Therefore, it's up to us, right? We have to create a world of truth and to stay to help people stay connected to what's really happening, to not allow them to only live in Foxlandia, as Greg Sargent calls it, right, this alternative universe that is very disconnected from the real world. We have to be warriors for truth and information warriors for our democracy. And it's what you do every day, Lee. It's why you're here. It's why Midas Touch is here. It's why Tara McGowan at Courier Newsroom is here. Is that It's why all of us are doing this work. You know, I just wrote a, a column, an op-ed in The New Republic, where I talked about how this year, because of everything you're describing, we need to reimagine a presidential campaign and we need to think of a presidential campaign. I worked in the war room 32 years ago. And when you think of the war room, right, you think of 20 sweaty kids drinking Red Bulls and, you know, uh, making TikTok videos. Right. We need to think of the war room as two to three million people, proud patriots who love their country, who are networked together, who are spreading the good news that we're describing, talking about today through their networks purposely, intentionally, to work their networks every day. If two to three million people, our brethren, are reaching 10 people a day, that's 20 to 30 million people a day, it, we can start to close the loudness gap with the other side and by, you know, by taking responsibility ourselves for being involved in this daily information war that we're in. And I, and I like to think of it as sort of a, a victory garden for the digital age, right? It's like, what can you do in your home to help win the, you know, win the information war? And I think we have more agency here than we know. It's why you've been so successful. It's why you have such a large audience because people are craving this stuff. The critical thing is that we have to become more conscious of spreading it through our own networks to take your this show here 
and share it with people that are that you think would need to hear it as part of the responsibility as being a patriot and being a proud citizen of America and fighting for a democracy, we've got to become louder together and take greater responsibility for the information environment. It's the only way, I think, in the short term, in addition to working hard on these campaigns, that we're going to be able to get our voices out there in a way that's really going to have a big impact this year. Yeah. Well, we just had our mutual friend Tara McGowan on the show from Courier last week, and we were talking about the importance of encouraging our people to share truth and share facts and share these short videos and share these podcasts with their friends to be what she calls an evangelist for truth and democracy, because it's never been so fragile. If we know it, then we have to make sure other people know it. And I just want to go back to what you were talking about with this article you just wrote for the New Republic. If people don't know, this article is called Four Things the Biden Campaign Should Be Doing Right Now. Can we talk a little bit more about that? Because these are some great ideas. As I said a couple weeks ago, Politics Girl has a new sponsor, and it's for my dog. Chips, my beautiful mess of a golden doodle, is now eating Sundays for dogs. I had heard nothing but great things about Sundays, but boy, was I not oversold. Chips loves it. When I started him on it, I split his bowl in half. Half the food he was used to eating, and I knew that he liked, and half Sundays for dogs. We started out with beef, and he literally ate only the Sundays for dogs part. Like he left his regular food just sitting there like a half moon. It was hilarious. He is crazy about it. In fact, it's all he's eating right now, so I've ordered more. Sundays for Dogs is a fresh dog food made from a short list of human-grade ingredients. It was co-founded by a practicing veterinarian who tests and formulates every version of each recipe. Sundays contains 90% meat, 10% superfoods, and zero synthetic nutrients or artificial ingredients. And unlike other fresh dog food, Sundays doesn't require refrigeration or preparation because of their air drying process, so you can just pour and serve. I don't know about you, but I have a picky eater dog, and getting him food he wants to eat is a bit of a production. This has been so easy. He likes the beef, he likes the chicken. I love that he's changed foods, and what I picked up on walks didn't change at all. It is amazing. So if you and your dog want to try it alongside me and Chips, go to sundaysfordogs.com slash politicsgirl to get 40% off your first order. That's sundaysfordogs.com dot com slash politics girl and use the code politics girl at checkout for 40% off because I'm sure your dog is just as special to you as my dog is to me and don't our doggos deserve the best Sundays for dogs.com slash politics girl the older I get the more I find myself wanting to be more intentional about the way I live and eat and take care of my body everything I can do to keep myself from falling apart and keeping my mind and body running smoothly I'm going to be trying and I've talked about Mosh Bars before. Mosh is a company founded by Maria Shriver and her son Patrick Schwarzenegger with a simple mission, to create a conversation about brain health through food, education, and research. Mosh joined forces with the world's top scientists and functional nutritionists to make something beyond your average protein bar. Each Mosh Bar is made with ingredients that support brain health like lion's mane, collagen, and omega-3s. And with six delicious flavors, each bar also gives you 12 grams of protein. Plus, they also have a line of plant-based protein bars if that's how you eat. I'm always going to go on about their lemon and white chocolate flavor because I just get boxes of those. And here's the best part. Mosh donates a portion of all proceeds from your order to fund gender-based brain health research through the Women's Alzheimer's Movement. Two-thirds of all Alzheimer's patients are women, and Mosh is working closely to close that gap between men and women's health research. This is a personal mission for Maria. 
Her father suffered from Alzheimer's, and since then, she and Patrick have dedicated themselves to finding ways to help other families dealing with this debilitating disease. So if you want to find ways to give back to others and fuel your body and brain, Mosh Bars are the perfect choice. Head to moshlife.com slash politicsgirl to save 20% off plus free shipping on your first six-count trial pack. That's 20% off plus free shipping on your first six-count trial pack. M-O-S-H-L-I-F-E dot com slash politicsgirl. Did you know that traditional bedsheets can hold on to more bacteria than a toilet seat? That that can lead to things like acne and allergies and stuffy noses? And it's also just really gross, which is why I'm so happy to tell you about Miracle Made. Miracle Made offers a whole line of self-cleaning, eco-friendly bedding like sheets, pillowcases, and comforters that prevent up to 99% of bacteria and require three times less laundry. Miracle Made's silver-infused sheets prevent up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leaving them to stay cleaner and fresher three times longer than other sheets. Plus, they're just really nice. Deliciously high-quality bedding without that horrible high price. So stop sleeping on bacteria. Sleep clean with Miracle. But see for yourself. Go to trymiracle.com slash politicsgirl to try Miracle Made Sheets today. And whether you're buying them for yourself or as a gift for a loved one, if you order today, you can save over 40%. And if you use our promo code politicsgirl at checkout, you will get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Miracle is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you will get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep today with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash politicsgirl and use the code politicsgirl to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40%. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash politicsgirl to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for continuing to sponsor the Politics Girl podcast. If people don't know, this article is called Four Things the Biden Campaign Should Be Doing Right Now. Can we talk a little bit more about that? Because these are some great ideas. Yeah, sure. I mean, I laid out, the New Republic came to me and said, what do you think Biden should be doing? And I was like, that's a little presumptuous. I don't want to tell the president about what, <laughs> you know, what he should do. And so I, I thought, you know, yeah, right. Who, and so what what could I add that is not that on top of what they're already doing? I mean, I think this piece was meant to augment what they're already doing, where he's already speaking about democracy and reproductive freedom and the economy and all this. And so I laid out four ideas, two are campaign related and then two are for when he rolls out a second term agenda, right? First is this reinvention of a campaign, the reinvention of the war room for the digital age. The second is we do need to, in my view, run the largest youth campaign that we've ever run in Democratic Party history. And I lay out some ideas about how to do that, including what I call a campaign within a campaign. I mean, I think that the information environment that young people live in is so different than older people that we can't think of the campaign as as a message that we then translate down to young people. We have to let the young people on the campaign build out their own campaign, and as because we're you know we aren't living in similar information environments. And this notion there's one campaign, one message, I think is almost like an antiquated thing, right? When we lived in a single universal information environment where there are three television networks and a handful of newspapers, that may have been true. But now, you know, I have three Gen Z kids. I mean, they live in a completely different world with different cultural touchstones that I have no idea how to connect with. And then finally, I really believe that Biden, in his first term, what he promised us when he ran was that he was going to get us to the other side of COVID successfully. That was his central promise. That's what voters voted on. When you look at all the exit poll data and everything, that's, what, that's how he won the election. 
And he's done that. He's been successful at that. He fulfilled his central promise to all of us. We are doing so well today economically in so many ways. I mean, there are a lot of challenges in the country, but we're doing, we've come out of the other side of COVID. And I think what he has to say now is I got you through one existential challenge. Now in my second term, I want to ground everything I do in two more, which are climate change and this preservation of democracy here and everywhere. And to make it a clear mission that together we have to mobilize the American people around solving these two existential challenges. And then finally, just two smaller ideas. One is the president should, I think, offer a big reform agenda and talk about how he's going to clean up Washington as the guy who's been in D.C. longer than anybody and knows this city well, and he can use this age and experience he has as an asset to come in and leave behind a cleaner city and attack the corruption and the stuff that's happened here that's just not okay, that's pushing us further and further away from the American people. And then finally, I think we need a big conversation around life expectancy and age and aging and living better quality lives longer now. And this isn't just because of Joe Biden. It's because we've seen a disturbing decline in life expectancy in the United States. We're very much out of sync with the rest of the Western world. This is not okay. We should have some kind of comprehensive strategy, in my view, to get life expectancy up and start a big conversation about not just being wealthy and prosperous, but being good and being healthy. And, And Joe Biden could not just leave behind a wealthier, more prosperous America, a cleaner Washington, but a healthier country too. And I think it's really kind of the next step past the ACA for us to go on offense around healthcare and living a good, high quality life, which we need. And I think it also allows him to address the age issue. I mean, we are living longer. And and I think we have to be able to talk about what that means for a society. The New Republic really put together a great set of writers, and I was really honored to be part of the crew. Honestly, it is a great collection of ideas from some of the best thinkers. But I I think to return to your point about hitting the age issue, like instead of ignoring it, hitting it, but also speaking about it in the context of, like you said, how America is out of step with so many other Western nations. We're out of step on healthcare. We're out of step on abortion. We're out of step on wealth equality. We're out of step on quality of life. You know, it took almost the TikTok age and the the age of uh, media for us to see outside our own borders. You know, we've been told our whole life that we're the greatest country in the world. And now we can see on our phones people living in Germany and Spain and Portugal. And we're like, wait a second, they have free health care and free child care and their babies can stay outside and they have like a wine bar at the park and like, then they go to college for free. Like, what, what are we doing over here? You know, like we suddenly are aware that we're out of step on many levels and it doesn't have to be like this. And our leaders can offer us a better, more healthy planet that isn't just prosperous, like you said, financially, but prosperous holistically. And I think you're right in saying that the Republicans have what you you refer to as this loudness advantage. And the Democrats really, if they want to get the results that they want, if liberal values yeah. want to get the results that we want, if common sense values want to get the results that we want, we need to be finding creative ways to close this gap. And that's reaching out to kids and saying, run your own campaign, talk to your yeah. own people, see what you want to do and what you want to talk about. And these old fashioned political ads, they don't work like they used to. We are in a completely different world. But my my question is, what do you think about companies like Meta pulling political content from Instagram and threads now? And because things that I do, what you do, what Courier does, what Midas Touch does, we're having an actual impact in changing elections, in in attacking uh, misinformation with real information. And they are now going to silence a lot of us right in an election year where people need to know. 
We are so long overdue in the United States for a big conversation about what I call information integrity and about restoring a degree of integrity to our daily discourse. I mean, it is shocking how much we've outsourced this to a handful of people and also continually, by the way, allow foreign governments to come in and have their way with, with the, you know, we wouldn't allow a foreign government to come in and punch one of our citizens. We shouldn't allow foreign governments to assault people when they're on the internet either. In European English, there's a concept called hybrid war where they know that they're in sort of this hybrid war with Russia, where Russia's using disinformation and cyber securities and attack, you know, hacking and dumping stuff that there's, whether we call it a conflict or a war, we're in a hybrid war with Russia right now. We're in a a place of competition with China and Iran and Russia. And we have to level with the American people more. I think about the nature of the conflict that we're really in with autocratic regimes around the world, the great uh, global order that America imagined and built in World War II that created more freedom and more opportunity for the people of the world than any time in human history. They want that world to end. And that's why the stakes of this election are so high, because if we were to lose to MAGA here, we might not just be losing our own democracy. We may be losing democracy throughout the entire world. And the reason this matters so much is that this world that we imagined built after World War II that was built on top of freedom and not you know, dominion or, author- or authoritarianism that FDR gave this sort of vision of a humanity, building a world around freedom, has been a golden age in, in human history. More people have had more opportunity in this age than any time in human history. Life expectancy has gone from 45 years to 71 years around the world. We've seen global poverty, extreme poverty plummet. We've seen more people now living in democracies than any time in human history. This is a golden age, and Russia and Iran and China want it to end. And it's why the stakes of this fight is so significant, because we're not just fighting for the opportunities for our kids and our grandkids. We're fighting for the opportunities for the kids and grandkids of all the people of the world today. And so this is a very consequential election. You know, Joe Biden, I think, to really do what he needs to do in this election is that he needs to connect the American people to this struggle, to this conflict, to this opportunity that we have to firm up this global order that's done so much good for so many people for so long. This is a huge job. And the truth is, Democrats were called before. We were called in the 1940s. We rose to the challenge, right? We say we liberated the world from tyranny and authoritarianism and dominion, and we created a world in, in, in the aftermath based on freedom. This is our great legacy. This is the great contribution of the Democratic Party to the world. We've got to fight to preserve it with everything we got. And I think that's what people are doing. I think it's why you're seeing such an outpouring of citizen engagement all around the country right now, because there are two to three, four million Americans who've just decided they're not going to let their democracy slip away on their watch, and they're fighting like hell. And that's why we're hungrier, we're fighting harder, we're fighting better, And it's why we keep winning, in my view. Yeah, it was quite surprising to most of us when Trump won in 2016. And he had definitely some uh, help, some foreign help getting there. Now uh, we have a system built up with enough of us who are countering that message, both online and in person and in politics, to counter that in a way that we weren't prepared for before. I just worry about people falling into these Russian psyops again, you know, around the border, around what's happening in Gaza. I mean, Tucker was just there normalizing Putin. It's the most bizarre thing. And it concerns me because it muddies the waters and it either puts people in the wrong headspace and not understanding what happens, or it turns voters off, or it sends them to third parties, which is the thing that terrifies me the most, because if it was just head-to-head Donald Trump, 
Joe Biden, I'd have no worry that Joe Biden would come out on top. It's these third parties where people say, I can't because of Gaza and I'm going to vote for this third party. Or I absolutely loved knowing that a Kennedy is running again and I'm going to vote. And I think, oh, Lord, like this is where it concerns me, because that if we allow these third parties to take just enough votes in just enough states, we could end up with the absolute most corrupt people in the nation who would be aligned with the authoritarians of the world and not with the democracies of the world. I wrote a memo about a year ago saying I think that our aspiration this cycle should be around growth and expansion and what I call getting to 55, that we should try to win this election. We should try to get Biden up to 55 percent and win this election by 10 points. And if we can do that, the third party stuff won't matter. The election finagling of them won't matter, right? None of this stuff will matter if we win this, as Tom Swazi did last night. If we blow it out by eight to 10 points, which I think is actually structurally possible for us based on the underlying data and where the ele- the electorate is, even though it doesn't feel that way today. And I think in what I lay out in this memo are ways that we can expand our coalition. You know, we have to do better with young people and do better with Hispanics. We have to grow the Never Trump or Never MAGAs. I think we have huge opportunities to bring in more former Republicans or wavering Republicans into our coalition. I think the issues around reproductive health have also created enormous openings to bring people into our coalition that may not have wanted to be there before. We have to have a growth and expansion mindset. It's sort of a man on the moon thing, right? That you can't go to the moon unless you have this plan to go do it. We have to plan to try to grow. And I think that one of the most important things, going back to that article that I mentioned, is this idea of cleaning up Washington is very important to both young people and to independents. And to the health of the nation. And to the health of the nation, right. And But in terms of just the strategy game, right, which is how do you gain a point here, a point here, and you add up that, you know, eventually you get up to eight to 10 points, right? Tom Swazi, you know, in his acceptance speech, thanked all the various groups that were part of his rainbow coalition that he put together. We need to have a mindset that we're strong. We're on offense. We keep winning. We're growing, right? We're not worried. We're not fearful. We're not playing defense. We're playing offense. And I think for Democrats, this is a huge shift in the way that we think, because I think so many people, and you saw it in the red wave in 2022, are approaching politics through fear and worry and uncertainty and doubt. And you can't win when you approach any project that way in life, right? And you need to come at things with confidence that you're going to succeed, with a clear plan for success, with strong teams and members of your team. And we have all that, right? We have a plan. We have strong leaders. We've done a good job. We can sell that to the country. What do they have? They got Trump. You know, and the line that I use about Trump, if we can just have fun for a minute, is that you know, taking a step back and removing yourself from Foxlandia and the right-wing noise machine, right? You can paint his face, dye his hair, strap a girdle on him and a diaper too, pump him full of speed, and this guy's still not going to look like a presidential candidate. And I think that whether it's the Wizard of Oz or the Emperor Has No Clothes or whatever the historic, you know, myth that you have, this guy is the most horrible, unfit person to run for president in American history with no near peer, Stop pretending that he's got some powerful connection to the American electorate or he's this kind of Ruth Ben Guyatt strong man, right? He's weak. He's pathetic. He's terrible. He's awful, right? He's going to destroy the country. We can't give him power or these third party candidates power that they don't earn themselves, right? We have to be very careful about this. And this is why, you know, what I try to do at Hopium every day, just going back to the sort of what we're all doing together, I get up every morning. And I start every day with this basic grounding exercise, which is that Joe Biden is a good president. The country is better off. 
the Democratic Party is strong in winning elections all across the country, and they have Trump. Who would you rather be, right? And in every way possible, as we head into 2024 more deeply, I would so much rather be us than them. And it's really important that as an exercise, just like Timothy Snyder guided us in his book on tyranny in that very first chapter, which has been one of the most influential things I've ever read, he says, do not obey it in advance, right? And the concept of that is, do not do the authoritarians' work for them. Do not obey in advance. We have to stop obeying in advance on the on the center left in America. It's how we win. And secondly, by putting more positive sentiment into the discourse every day, by talking about all the things that are going right, not all the things that are going wrong, living in a place of confidence and offense as opposed to a place of defense and worry. What they want, what MAGA's central strategy is, is to put negative sentiment into our discourse every day. They want us to feel bad about our country, our democracy, our leaders, our institutions, each other. They want us to feel like this is a failed enterprise. So then, therefore, we need extreme and radical solutions to fix all of this. The way that we counter MAGA is, first of all, by talking about love of country and patriotism. What a remarkable, as you did earlier, what a remarkable country and how blessed we are to all live here and also to respond to their negative sentiment with positive sentiment. We need to be spending far more time talking about us rather than talking about them, in my view. We talk too much about them. We spend too much time. You know, I don't want to ever see another picture of Marjorie Taylor Greene as long as I live, right? We all know who she is. I don't need to see it. We got to look away. We got to talk about us and what we've done and the greatness and the goodness of this country. That's how we defeat MAGA, in my view. That's a wonderful sentiment. You're right. I mean, the Democrats have a great message to run on. It's a message of success and positivity. We're on the correct side of every issue that isn't just a liberal issue. It's a common sense popular issue. You know, it's why most people in the country think abortion should be legal. And most of us who are women knew that issue was not going away, right? Republicans are on the wrong side of almost everything. And they're so far on the wrong side, it's almost astounding. You know, against civil liberties, against people crossing the borders, you know, childhood separation, like it's absolutely nauseating. And I think what we need is a complete decimation of their party on election day in 2024. If the Republican Party proper wants their party back, if we want to be talking about things like conservative values again and not extremist, white nationalist, Christian authoritarianism, if we don't want to be talk about consolidating the federal government around the president or closing state borders until you've you know taken your pregnancy test or, or completely abandoning our foreign allies to Russia and saying like, hey, you know, you give me America, I'll give you Europe, then this party has to be destroyed at the ballot box. There cannot be any question that the Democrats won or that the election was stolen. There can't be any wiggle room for this extremism to continue to rebuild. This movement and their monster leader and all the enablers have to be crushed. And every normal Republican has to help with that. Every non-voter has to help with that. Every registered Democrat has the responsibility to help with that because there is still room for conservative values in Joe Biden's America. There is still room for far left values in Joe Biden's America. But in Trump's America, in MAGA's America, there is only room for them. And we can't allow that. I want to thank you so much for joining me today, Simon. Please tell everyone how they can follow your work and keep up with everything that you're doing. Sure. I mean, the best way to follow my work is just subscribe to my Substack. It's free. There are also higher levels if you want to help me spread hopium every day. But it's, um, it's called Hopium Chronicles. 
it's a 40,000 strong now. We've got a great community of people who go to work every day trying to, you know, preserve their democracy and fight for our freedoms. And I just want to say it's just so great to be one of the greatest experiences I've had in the last year in this work is just being in the sense of community that I'm in with you and Tara and hundreds of thousands of other Americans who are, you know, working with us every day. We're not alone, right? We're in a powerful community. We're strong. We're winning elections. We're kicking their ass all across the country. We have to have confidence that we're going to get this done this year. But what it also means for us to win is to the way that you just talked about Trump and the Republicans, we have to be talking about this stuff in our networks, in our social settings. Irene was a community member of mine, and she posted the other day in our chat that she'd gone to dinner with three friends, and they started dumping on Biden. They're all Democrats, and they were dumping on Biden and talking about this and that. And she said, Simon, I used all the stuff you give me, and I went to work, and I told them what a great president Joe Biden's done. She said, by the end of dinner, they'd all come around, and they were supporting Biden, and they all gave him money You know, in the next 24 hours. If we all do that every day, right, we're going to kick their ass in 2024 because Joe Biden's been a good president. The country is better off. We're a great and good Democratic Party. And think about the train wreck, the historic train wreck we're seeing on the other side. I have confidence the American people who have voted against MAGA in 2018, 2020, 2022, and 2023 are going to do it again, but only if we do the work. The work is everything. And the hope has to be there. And honestly, what I hold on to is how much we could actually get done with a second term of a Biden presidency and a Democratic Senate and a Democratic House, because boy, do we have some great ideas that could help the American people. Thank you so much for you, Dooley. Appreciate it. And uh, stay in touch, okay? You too, Simon. Thank you. So that was Simon Rosenberg reminding us that we have to do more and worry less. That as Timothy Snyder says, we can't just obey in advance. We have to plan to win, organize to fight, and aim not just for success, but for growth and expansion. Something magical is happening. As MAGA doubles down on extremism and chaos, they appeal to fewer and fewer Americans. At this point, all they have is their mad king. While we have the opportunity to make America into the country, we always tell people we are. As Simon says, I'd so much rather be us than them right now. I want to thank Simon for joining us and you for caring enough about democracy to be here. Now go subscribe to Hopium, both the physical newsletter and the mindset of hope with a plan. Until next week, PGF. The Politics Girl podcast is written and performed by me, Lee McGowan, in partnership with the Midas Media Network and produced and edited by Happy Warrior Entertainment. All rights reserved.